This is Pretty Much Pop, a culture podcast trying to reduce the buzzing, blooming confusion of media noise into easily remembered sound bites like my wife. I'm Mark Linsenmeyer, and I'm sad to say that I've had throw the dew down the well going through my head the entire morning. It's catchy. I'm Erica Spires, living in the ghost town that is New York City. Ayak Zamash, my name is Brian, and it's amazing to me how little Kazakh sounds like a mix of Polish and Hebrew. I'm Aaron David Gleason, and I do the second most annoying impersonation behind Christopher Walken for hack comedians. Walken, Aaron, I, I didn't announce it, but I, I think it's clear that we're talking about Borat 2. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I'm just a little congested. I don't know what you're oh. talking about. Uh, and more widely, Sasha Baron Cohen's sort of prank interview style through his other films and whatever people want to talk about. But we're all, we all have Borat 2 very, very fresh. It came out yesterday as we are recording this. And it came out of all of our mouths during our intros. So well done, everybody. I think all the low-hanging fruit has been picked. We're going to get really into the hard stuff now. Aaron, our guest, who is uh, the first three-peater. No, that's not the... the I'll, I'll think of a good word, three but somebody who's Peter. appeared... I thought Michael Jordan was first three-peater. <laughs> Someone who's appeared on all three of my podcasts. A three-peater, I think, implies has appeared on the same podcast three times. Plenty of people have done that with Partially Examined Life, but you... He has completed the trifecta. Yes, Aaron is a musician. We had him on the Nakedly Examined Music. And then he was part of, with Erica, a, a performance and discussion of Lysistrata, the play on Partial Examined Life. And then I just put something up on Facebook, who wants to talk with me about <laughs> Borat yesterday? And you responded. And I was me, thinking... please pay attention to me. <laughs> Do you want to give us the first reaction? To Borat too? Yes. Should we talk about what it is? Are we spoiling? We should say we're totally spoiling. We must be, right? We should not spoil the very end. How about that? We're spoiling up through Rudy Giuliani's scene, which has been so widely commented on anyone who is surprised. Honestly, I feel like this movie is not as spoiler proof. I totally disagree, but continue. Oh, okay, that's cool. Oh, fight, 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 fight. <laughs> I'm reaching through the interwebs. <laughs> Erica was very uh, motivated to give a little preamble to what the movie could be. So I think maybe we'd go with what she had to say. So uh, Borat 2, subsequent movie film, is of course the follow-up to the hit movie Borat. 14 years later, we find out that Borat has been sent to a gulag and he is working off his time from making a mockery of Kazakhstan. And he is brought out of this gulag to be sent to America to give a gift to Vice President Michael Pence and hopefully secure relations once again between Kazakhstan and the United States. Basically, I guess what you need to know is, yes, he goes back to the United States. Yes, he is recognized by some people. So he goes through a variety of costume changes and disguises so that he can still do his normal Borat thing with people who now might recognize the regular character, but still a lot who don't. And this time he is accompanied by, he just finds out he has a daughter and she is absolutely wonderful in this film. And so it's the two of them going on these adventures. And she is able to do a lot more really with getting into near the end when she can actually talk to Rudy Giuliani because she is not a known entity like Borat is. That's the basic premise. He gets into the idea of American exceptionalism and racist 
you can't really call them undertones anymore or overtones. They're just blatant racism in America. <laughs> so, okay, uh, it's over now. Yeah. Was it good? Yeah, it's good. He makes you uncomfortable and the humor is, is a way to get, to get in there and see things incredibly honestly. Everybody is so overwhelmed with snappy rejoinders on, on Facebook and social media and none of that is funny at all. So this comedian, the court jester asks the, the right questions and we actually listen and have a longer attention span because it's through the prism of comedy. But it's all the ugliness is also there as well to digest. And some of it is hard to digest. Brian, what's your first take here? Like the first movie, it wasn't universally funny the whole way through. But I think good, honest comedy usually isn't. And if you're pushing, a lot of times it's not always going to work. And sometimes we're all calibrated to what amount of you know, there's a certain point vulgarity is just too vulgar to really be funny anymore. Or sometimes it's just vulgar enough or it's too vulgar enough that it, it's funny again. I mean, all these things, I will say I rewatched the first one in preparation for this. And the first one really, I had a lot more sympathy for the people he was duping in a way that this time I just didn't. I felt nothing for the people who were so horrible. One thing I didn't always know for sure is who was in on the joke. And I still don't totally know that even after having read some of the articles, that's important to me. And whether the humor is working or not depends a bit on whether the person he's talking to knows what's going on or doesn't. Erica? Wasn't super excited to watch it. I felt like it was just going to be uncomfortable and more of what we'd seen already, but also difficult to watch because right now, of course, anything that's political is difficult to watch and fraught more than normal during an election year and especially during this election year. But I actually found it quite delightful. Several times out loud was just like, no, no, what are you saying? Like about still surprised that people are willing to say the things they will on camera. I laughed a lot. And somehow I feel like it actually wasn't nearly as shocking as the first one. I don't know if that was by his design or if that that's just how much our landscape has changed that nothing really shocks us anymore. But I thought it was really successful. I read something just briefly about this one might not age as well as the other one. Like the other one is a little more, you could watch it at any point and it's still just going to be funny comedy. And this one's a lot more pointed to our current political landscape. But I think overall for me, this was a more successful film. I was surprised at how many just straight up narrative elements were in this one. You know, like his non-reality movies, The Dictator and the, the Brothers Grimsby, which are generally not as highly regarded. I thought The Dictator was very funny throughout. And this one was a silly story like that, but involved as a lot of the supporting cast, these unwitting people, not all of whom were being made fun of. I think some of them are shown in a very positive light. I mean, you could still like be, how could this person actually believe that this is happening? <laughs> believe that this is real. And, you know, you could give them the benefit of the doubt that they're just, maybe they're uh, kind of just leaving options open, that they're, they don't want to offend anybody in case it is real, but might have their doubts. But in any case, like this character of the, quote, babysitter, at one point he parks his daughter with to take care of her. And man, I mean, of course, Maria Bakalova, who plays the daughter, is just getting all these rave reviews, and rightly so. Like, apparently it was a very rigorous casting process. It was very competitive. And just the fact that somebody else can do this, like that was the big new element here is having somebody else playing the clown in that way in so many scenes. I had to watch this film through after a while, like actually through fingers held up in front of my face. Like it was the scariest thing because it was either that or just as I was doing early on, just pausing it 
and then going and kind of walking it off. Like that's how sensitive I am to embarrassment humor. Was it also because it was a daughter? No, but I think we're kind of used to Sasha Baron Cohen putting himself out there and making ridiculous speeches. So where the daughter goes in front of a group of conservative women and reveals that she's just learned how to masturbate. That index finger. Index (laughs) finger. The fact that she used that, the specificity, comedic gold. (laughs) This person is a genius. Not just finger, index finger. It just takes it to the next level. I think that was the most uncomfortable I got during the whole thing of... (laughs) For those women, yeah, I mean, did you feel some of them clap? They tried to be supportive, you know? Boy, I was really proud of those women. I got to say, like, they really, like, you could tell they were uncomfortable, but they were still trying to be accommodating to her. And some of them, you could tell, were like, well, sure, but we just don't talk about that in public. Borat is, you know, focusing on the South, primarily. It's not just America. And that does raise a lot of questions, good and bad. But I think the silver lining or the glimmer of hope and not to bury an entire uh, region is there in some of these reactions uh, going along sort of with what you're saying, Erica. I found some glimmers of hope in some people that might be centrist, for lack of a better uh, word, or at least open and not hard-headed and calcified and not a caricature. And I think that that was generous and responsible on Sasha Baron Cohen's part. The scene with the music festival, was that filmed in Washington? Did I see that somewhere? Yes. It's not just the South. No, it's funny. Years ago, I think it was back like in 2001, 2002, 2003, it was David Cross put out a comedy album. And one of the jokes he had on there was the redneck voice. And how no matter where you go, the redneck voice always sounds the same. It's like, fuck you, I'm from Bozeman, Montana. Fuck you, I'm from Birmingham, Alabama. So you can't really tell or you know, where you are. I think they did try to make it seem like it was all in the South. But when you read about where it was, it was kind of all over the place. Yeah. And I think that that's interesting. And even just you correcting me there is a good teachable moment from you to me. And as a screaming from the trees liberal as I am, I am trying to reach across a little bit more and also expose my own sort of preconceived notions a little bit more as well. I was honestly surprised in just seeing an interview with him that one of his goals here was to expose the humanity that we actually have all a lot in common so that he actually spent four days or something in quarantine with these QAnon people. Yes, they believe crazy, horrible things, but that they're also nice guys and they're like trying to help him out. And you don't really get that with the frat boys in the first film or something like that. He doesn't have time to show that, or maybe it's just different editing focus to show that people are basically good. I wouldn't have figured that out from the film that that was one of his goals. Was it one of his goals or did he just happen to find that? Maybe that's how he's interpreting it now. But this was like a Good Morning America interview from yesterday. So, And one thing that really hasn't changed from one movie to the next and reading Reddit and stories of people who work retail and anyone who has and I have is just the utter ground down nature of anyone who has to deal with people who walk into their stores. Because I, I don't truly think that the woman who's writing racist or anti-Semitic comments on the cake is necessarily an anti-Semite, but she's just... She's seen it all and people come in and ask for crazy (laughs) stuff and how much gas do I need to, you know, will this kill off an entire truck full of gypsies? I mean, it's just part of it is the crazy accommodating nature of retail in America. And part of it's just like, let me just serve you and take your money and get out of my store. And they don't pay me enough to take offense at what's going on. 
it's a sad state and that much hasn't changed from one movie to the next and seeing the two in a row that was one commonality that i still found to be funny and and sad 14 years ago certainly google reviews and yelp weren't as uh, popular as they are now and they really can destroy a business now so i think a lot of people working in retail are completely paranoid and restaurants about every interaction now i think that's right but again, then you go to like, but there was a camera there, kind of what the upshot, you know, what the setup was, what the behind the scenes, how aware they were. I would think just introducing a camera there would change something of what you're describing, Brian, that it's not just your typical ground down or are cameras so ubiquitous that who cares? Or have cameras become permission to be everything, <laughs> you know? And do you need to be as loud and big and as provocative at all times as you possibly can be? Is that the state of affairs right now? I think that's possibly it. The whole film says a lot about this without specifically pointing it out, that how many of these people are just trying to be polite? And how much does that hurt us as a society, being polite over actually saying something that really matters, right? And I find myself doing this a lot and trying to fight against just being polite and trying to fight against just getting along. So yeah, I think you're right, Brian, about the the woman in the bakery. She may have felt very uncomfortable about that and she may have acted okay with it. And deep down, she may have been, but she may have hated doing that and did it anyway because that was her job. So that also is a big point that we all need to look at within ourselves, right? And decide what are those things that we actually maybe should question and be like, you know what? I am not comfortable serving you. That's a great point. And the time when people are least polite to him seems to be in in the first movie when he's on a New York subway car and he's trying to kiss people and everyone's like, dude, get the fuck off of me or we're going to have a problem. I think we could all stand with a little bit more of a New Yorker response sometimes because right when you're polite, you're often, you feel like you're being complicit to what you're hearing and sometimes you effectively are. I feel like this conversation is us finding out where our limits are and sort of looking in the mirror, judging somebody else's reaction of politeness or or being blunt and, and present. Who knows what good that can do. But saying, you know, I wish I had stood up for myself in this or I wish I wasn't accommodating to that racist. You know, those are good questions to ask ourselves. I think we're seeing ourselves when we see those things play out. I don't think we are going to think about that other person a month from now, but we'll still think about ourselves and how we are going to react going forward. You're right. And I think that's why the scenes with the UPS store where he's, it's UPS store, right? Where he's like faxing everything. That guy was great. So accommodating, nice guy. But also the guy didn't have to deal with quite as much, like he wasn't directly having, to, like, yes, he was giving the messages and writing them and reading them. I'm just imagining what, yes, read this for me out loud. Those scenes to me were absolutely very funny and not actually super uncomfortable. No, that guy was an ally. <laughs> <laughs> More the guy in the cell phone store at the beginning that you wonder, like, this guy really believes that a customer is this dumb that is having trouble when he's demonstrating FaceTime. And I don't even want to describe the scene. People can probably remember it or should go watch it. But it is breathtakingly dumb in a way that <laughs> I seem to have passed a limit. And yet still the cell phone guy was just seemingly okay with it. <laughs> seemingly. Yeah, I had to wonder at that point because that was early on in the film and it was such a ridiculous masturbation scene that you had to wonder if that guy knew what was going on. 
Like, even if he wasn't told that this was like, if he was told something else other than this was Borat, he knew something about it. That guy has a name and it's (laughs) Brian. Thank you. That's right, Brian. (laughs) Guys, I have to tell you a quick little story. For Bruno, my father, who's an acting teacher in Los Angeles and is an eccentric older dude, uh, he was in his 70s then, he's 84 now. Sasha Baron Cohen tried to run some game on him, as it were. He came in, he said, I want to study acting, and they spent the whole day together. So I know everything that happens. My dad was pre-interviewed, an entire crew came in. My dad from the beginning, now listen, he's been in LA for 50 years, and even though he's a little guy who uh, came from Portland, Oregon to LA, he's fairly hip to things but not totally. And he was like, is this real? And by the end of it, the end of that day, he called me and was like, all of this happened to me today. I was like, well, you met Sasha Baron Cohen today. And he's like, I knew I was, somebody was trying to punk me. And I was like, you know that term? Oh, well, you're all, you're, you're good. <laughs> they never used the footage, but my dad spent a whole day with Bruno and got to see the inner workings of how they set people up. So there you go. Wow. And he didn't feel violated by it. No, though, right? my or... dad thought this is funny and what you, and let me try to participate. My dad was very yes and with this Im- <laughs> this very long improv session and he tried to like but I guess he was too hip to it and that read and they're like no no we need to find somebody who's more mortified at what's happening. My dad was like, "Oh, you want to do that insane act that may be illegal?" Let's do it. And uh, Sasha Baron Cohen's like, no, 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 no. This guy's, it's too positive. Like, there's no conflict. Something, to, you need something more to bounce off of than pure positivity. But for a few months, I was very paranoid that my dad was going to be part of an internationally released movie where he looked humiliated. But that didn't happen. Yeah. Inside information. And I had forgotten about that until I called him this morning. And he was like, you remember that time? And he's, oh my God, I got to tell them about that. Maybe worth reflecting on sort of the different approaches that he takes in trying to expose different things, that he's trying to expose racism here, he's trying to expose how much tolerance people do or don't have for a foreigner, in other words, how much they expect. Do you really believe that someone is this foreign to be this dumb? But like with, I always forget the names of these characters from Who is America, Gio Manaldo, so that was his his character in Italian billionaire who's just very sleazy. So that that one was like, you know, the very low-hanging fruit. Let's expose reality show stars or whoever as being shallow and stages this fake charity thing talking with this character who had been on, I guess, The Bachelor to get her to lie on camera about like all this charity stuff she was doing or the uh, guy who has been in prison, Rick Sherman is another character and is going around the art world. He's a prisoner who's like, I think his first appearance was a painting made out of his own bodily fluids and like, in fact, goes and here, let me, I'm inspired. Let me go in the bathroom right now and do another one and talking to this art gallery owner. I thought of that one because these people are just in both these cases are complete yes people. But in this case, like he's actually trying to show that these settings, sort of the world of celebrity philanthropy and the world of art are just pretentious such that you will agree with anything if you think that this is somebody who you should be cultivating or something. Different spin. Does he, do you find that more or less effective, less pressing message? I don't know. I think the thing that he's trying to reveal has different weights. You know, the hypocrisy of artistic integrity is not necessarily in the same conversation as institutionalized misogyny, you know, which is far more important to talk about. 
he exposes minor things and absolutely horrible things as well. Brian or Erica, were you even enough of a fan of his to watch that show? It was I America. watched a clip of some of the worst, best slash worst things revealed on YouTube. We gave you a whole day advance notice. I know. <laughs> Taking this guy's whole career. <laughs> I have more appreciation for his range as a character actor. You know, I've seen him in things and serious things or just straight. Whether it was Hugo, which was, which was a bit of a caricature role, but... To see him doing his shtick, it was really fun to see how much range he has. And that was enjoyable to see. I probably will try to hunt down those full episodes. I've seen some clips of some of his other things. But like I said, like sometimes it's hard for me to watch this kind of humor. So I'm always delightfully surprised when I really enjoy it. And I'm not just cringing about it. Even this film, there have been certain articles about different lawsuits that he's gotten himself into. Yes, part of me wonders, like, how does he legally get through what he puts himself into and the other actors into? But also, there are times when he actually is probably, like, yes, it's for comedy, but also there are times he is putting people at risk, at real risk. Like, even if you think about the fact that this was filmed largely during the pandemic and they're going maskless and filming, I had read that they did have some sort of COVID compliance officer on staff with them. But what does that actually mean? And, you know, there are jokes within the film where he looks at the guys he's rooming with and he's like, oh, fuck distancing. And yeah, it's for comedy. But how much of that time are you maybe actually putting those people at risk? The scene where he has the rally, which is in Washington, Olympia, Washington, they do an anti-social distancing rally. And that was evidently put together by his team for other people to attend. So yeah, those people chose to attend that, but like his team put together a gag in the middle of a pandemic, luring people who they knew wouldn't be wearing masks or distancing. Right. That's a tough one to negotiate. That's a tough one to say that it was appropriate or should have happened. I cheer on somebody who's that brave to put themselves in peril at times in the past in the name of exposing some inconvenient truths about our society, but I don't think it would be worth it even to inflict on somebody who I found repulsive to set them up to put them in a dangerous position. I don't think that's ethical, personally, either, at all. So the danger, but what about just the lying to people? Just the whole conceit of the thing that, yes, I made you sign a release, you know you're going to be on camera, but you are going to play a part in this that you're unaware of. Like, is it worth... I would feel completely unethical. Would you? I wouldn't do it. I like the fact that it was done. Me too. And I will encourage him at least. I don't know that I want this to become a trend. I don't think there's anything unethical about outing people who are potentially dangerous with their ideology. If they outed themselves as having hearts of gold, I think you should show that as well. And people have to take ownership of the risk they take by talking into a camera. I choose not to, and I've been asked if I want to give my opinion on the news, and I usually have chosen not to. I mean, we do these podcasts, and I have a level of control over them in a way that I don't when someone else is talking to me, and that's my choice, and that's fine. Maybe everyone back in the day knew when they were done being filmed, and Alan Funk, was that his name? They were going on a comedy show, and they knew the context. Well, with Sasha Baron Cohen, who knows what the context is and how you're going to end up looking? And... As soon as you open your mouth, well, actually, as soon as you sign the piece of paper with the release, you've given away the right to frame your own story. No one made you sign that piece of paper. But you're signing that piece of paper under false, maybe not false terms, but like... Under your own assumptions. I'm sure they lied to him, don't you think? 
that they told these people at the conservative women's group that this girl who just came in from a foreign country and she wants to learn about things and she wants to take part in this, will you sign this? Nobody was blurred in that. Like everybody in the whole damn hall must have signed this thing. They didn't expect that. And they were lied to about who this person was, how old she was, where she was from. Like my dad was told this guy's name is Bruno. This is his story. And this is why we're here. They didn't say, hey, would you please play along? This is Sasha Baron Cohen. And, you know, not at all. I guess whatever he's doing must be technically legal, which, of course, is the best kind of legal because (laughs) he's been sued a million times or however many times. Do you know if he's settled at all? From what I've read, it seems like that's not been what's happening. Not not for anything substantial. He he has has good enough lawyers and a good enough process that his ass is covered. Whether he's misleading or lying or whatever, I guess that's how it is. All right, we totally have to change course on what I said earlier and spoil this movie because it's too good not to. So everyone go pause and watch the movie. (laughs) You've heard enough of us that you can decide that you don't care. (laughs) That's right. You can go watch the movie and come back because I really thought early on that the coronavirus pandemic was going to be incidental to this movie. Something that was happening, you know, certainly during the Mike Pence event, it was had just started happening in the U.S., but hadn't really spread and certainly wasn't spread to all the states in the way it is now here in October or even over the summer. But to end up having a riff on the usual suspects and have Borat be the super spreader, I did not see coming. Partly because I didn't expect there to be that much story to the movie. And I was delightfully surprised and just utterly happy to see that happen. And maybe if I had been paying more attention, I would have caught it. I like being surprised and it was great. So I thought that was smart and funny. And if you're still listening and haven't watched the movie, I I would apologize, but I told you to pause. What can I tell you? I, yeah, likewise had very low expectations regarding a plot. (laughs) Aaron, what do you think of these as, from your actor's perspective, from your theater, should we just look at these as basically a series of sketches? Or, like, I thought this was making more of an attempt at a story arc, and adding that as a capper, like... I think the first one has a narrative. It might not be as important to our times as this one is during a -a once-in-a-lifetime event as providing much more important backdrop but do I think it stands on its own merit as, as a narrative? Sure. Certainly the least of my concerns when watching this. Even Erica putting aside, you know, the people being duped, if that is possible to put aside, like, I guess one thing to ask is if they had just used actors for this entire thing, you know, obviously you'd have to tweak a lot, but had the same narrative arc of him getting to know his daughter and things and then this twist at the end, would you have thought this was a good comedy movie? If they were actors and it was the exact same thing, that's that's like an impossible question, isn't it? I would like to say yes, but I'm not really sure. I mean, I think, of course, I don't think you can divorce the fact that we all know that these people are being duped. You don't think Brian at the end was an, actually an actor? He was duped in the first scene. No, I think he was. You can't get him on to bring him back without just revealing the whole thing to him, I would think. Totally. No, no, no. I think, I think they let Brian in on it for sure. This makes me think of it kind of a related point. If they had gotten people who knew what this was going to be, I think they still could have gotten real people to do it. Because this is just like, there's so many people out there who are ready to do reality TV and they're just ready to be the biggest characters possible. So they wouldn't mind putting themselves out there and putting the worst they had out there for fame. We know that. We've seen that in the past. I think what we do probably gain out of him giving people this opportunity under false pretenses is we do get to see that lovely side of humans this heart of gold side right along next to some really terrible belief systems. So I don't know that we get the sweetness of moments 
if you told people what it was about, even if they're real people. Real people, not actors. Always a funny thing to think about. Real (laughs) people, not actors. Though, not those crazy actors. (laughs) They're not real. The Holocaust survivor, the old woman, was in on it. I read that she was not. No, I... I may have to check my sources that Sasha Baron Cohen sat her down and talked her through it and explained what it was. And for some reason, she or her estate still ended up suing because they weren't happy with how it came out. And she had passed away before the movie came out. But it's hard to say why that would have been the case or if he wanted a real specific response or because he's Jewish or whatever. But that was cited as a rare case where she knew. No, I don't know if the other woman knew who was in the scene, but. That makes me feel better because that was one of those scenes when he walked in, I just go, no, don't, what are you doing? You wanted it to be funny, but it, you couldn't help but feel awful for these little old ladies. They were so sweet. And as a Jew myself, there aren't many Holocaust jokes I can laugh at, but for them to be upset that the Holocaust was fake, I thought was so clever. <laughs> I, I've got to say that this was a shame to their country. And of course, Kazakhstan is so is a, a funhouse, bizarro version of the real Kazakhstan. It's one of the more tolerant nations for Jews in Europe and Eurasia, but that was good for a laugh. Oh, it actually is. I just, yeah, I didn't know that. How about that guy that said $500? I thought that was the fucking most cringeworthy moment of the whole thing. And then his daughter turned to him and said, you're so gross. I was like, that's a lot in a nutshell right there. <laughs> What do you think about that whole, like, yes, debutante is a weird thing and a debutante ball is a weird thing, but it's not like the guy who is the anti-abortion counselor who completely deserves what he got in that exchange. You know, it's just these random people at this debutante ball and you're doing this super embarrassing, gross, actively like offensive thing in front of them, this dance. It's actively offensive to them, but it's not offensive to the people putting it on, right? Like they're doing it because they think it will be attractive to other men from another culture. So it's funny because yes, they're doing it under like, isn't this great? We're doing this dance and you can see my daughter has her period. And the other people are just absolutely (laughs) mortified. But they're also kind of like, they're like, well, they're from another country. Maybe this is how they do things. And so nobody knows how to react. That's hilarious. They're mostly leaving. I mean, that's like... (laughs) It was a pretty clear... I mean, the ending of it was pretty gross, but... They framed it as they're making a movie about a coming-of-age story, and it wasn't like they were ruining someone else's debutante ball. And that's just it. I feel like every scene is framed just a little differently from how we're seeing it or the way they managed to cobble it together. And as you said already, Mark, the idea that there's a camera in the room now. And yeah, we have cell phone cameras out all the time, but shouldn't you be behaving just a little differently with that camera in your nose? But I guess people are true to themselves. And that guy at the pregnancy crisis clinic, he was just a-okay with Incest, right? But not with abortion. God doesn't make mistakes. Man. I wasn't surprised, but to hear it and see it is really rough. There's a lot of them that you imagine Sasha Baron Cohen getting beat up afterwards. That was one of the only ones where I imagined them beating up the guy afterwards. (laughs) It's tough. I would worry for my own safety. He has a family. I would worry about all of those things. It, It would not be worth it to me. And that's hard to watch it and laugh and say, I wouldn't put myself in that position. Well, then should I be watching it and, you know, and encouraging it? I don't know. But I would worry for the safety of my own family, given the climate of this country. As a trying to do that kind of comedy, not trying to... Yeah. I thought you were, you were referring to like the people who are subjects of it. You know, if you were some of those frat boys in Borat 1 that were saying horrible things, but they gave you beer beforehand and, you know, you're trying to sue... 
that seems like living in infamy as, you know, that's like being caught with your pants falling down on America's Funniest Home Videos or something and having that show, you know, or memefied forever. It's like yeah. embarrassing on that level. And I can't say like the politicians that get caught, like that those kids necessarily deserved, quote that, even though it was an awesome scene. Yeah, I'm just talking about, I would worry about retribution in a country that encourages vigilantism. If I was Isla Fisher, I'd be like, oh, no, you made that movie already. We need to be safe. <laughs> you yep. fuck. We got kids, asshole. So, you know, chill. Go do another Scorsese movie. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. Maybe she's game for it. I mean, she seems like kind of a crazy gal. <laughs> I would imagine having kids is different. So are there particular scenes, whether in this movie or other things that you've seen that uh, Sasha Baron Cohen has done, where you think, no, this actually doesn't work. This is not funny. And why? Anything sort of come to mind? I've thought even Grimsby, which I, he does a lot of sophomoric humor too, you know, even for somebody who's as intellectually accredited as he is. But I have always thought it was funny. This has no relevance to anybody at all, but I actually find his dramatic work to not quite be on the same level. So you're not crying that he was not in the Queen bio pick? No, I saw Spy. I haven't seen this new thing that he's in. Maybe he's great. Either he's miscast or that's just not his desire as much or he doesn't have as much fuel for it. I'm just guessing. But like I said, who cares what I think about that? It's not just that you see him through a comic lens like so many comedians who try to do dramatic parts and you're like, I can't take that dude seriously. It doesn't look like he puts in as much. I don't know if that's his passion. Has anyone seen the Abby Hoffman movie? That Aaron mentioned? Not yet. No. Who has time when I'm watching Borat? I gotta say, pulling off a Boston accent is very tough. So let's see what he can do. <laughs> right. I guess I've seen a super cut of some scenes from that movie. Different Aaron Sorkin bits. So the same lines in the West Wing as in the new, the Abby Hoffman movie. But in any case, Mark, to answer your question, I'm always a little bummed out and out of the moment seeing the scenes in his village in Kazakhstan, knowing that it's really just very impoverished Roma communities that are being used as a backdrop for this parody version of Kazakhstan. That's not the focus of the movies, and I, I see what he's doing, and he is portraying what Americans think Eastern Europe is. He's not really saying this is what Kazakhstan is, but I still know that he hasn't constructed these sets. He really is going to very impoverished parts of the world in Romania, I think, to film it, and it's fine, but I can't just bask in the comedy with that kind of backdrop. A lot of it just depends on how good the joke is. That so much, especially in the Who's America, was not the people's reactions. In fact, they would cut away. But just the fact that he's doing the joke, which is some of these characters are just entirely to make fun of themselves. I'm going to go as Ali G. I'm going to go out, say the dumbest things. And some of the time, the person he's talking to might have a funny reaction. But some of the times it might just be like, wow, that was a funny joke. And the fact that he was saying it to a person makes it funnier because you think like all these horrible things that are in your head, like what if I went out and just said that to people? He actually does that in various forms. So it just entirely depends on sort of in those cases, how good the actual joke is, which is of course going to be hit or miss. He's generally a brilliant guy and, but not everything is going to land. You know, anymore, gosh, I've really become a Midwesterner with the starting something with anymore. The, um, <laughs> I don't know this at all. Can you please uh, explain? A Chicagoan, as growing up, you can have a negative anymore. 
Like you don't see that stuff around here anymore, but to have the positive anymore to say, well, you didn't used to, but now you do is really this breadbasket of America thing that maybe in Ohio and Indiana you can get away with. Well, anymore, when you start seeing something on Amazon or Netflix, it gives you all these warnings of what you're going to see, right? It's mature audiences because it used to just be violence or sexual situations, but now it's very specific, right? And it'll talk about sexual assault or specifically rape. Or in this case, it mentioned blackface at the start of the movie saying, oh my God, what are we getting ourselves into? So like, I, I really don't know how he's going to handle that. And when I realized at the end that the reference to blackface was just a picture of Justin Trudeau in blackface. I think there may have even been a joke in that being the warning that you're going to see blackface and it, all it was was the uh, prime minister of Canada. So I thought that was a, a meta joke and it worked actually pretty well. But that's also going to be a, an artifact of the moment. And I wonder how this will age. I know we talked about that earlier on. There was a sort of a meta joke with the original movie, which I saw with Mark after it came out. And this was obviously years ago. I was at his house. And you had already seen it, Mark, but I hadn't. And you got the DVD and you opened it up because you had just gotten it. And the DVD of the original Borat movie, it's just a silver disc with the word Borat written on it in Sharpie, like someone had pirated it. And that was like, it's really a, a funny thing for its time, but it really was a thing of its time also, because the idea of, like, I don't even have anything in my house other than my PlayStation that even plays discs anymore. I'm sure other people do, but it was a very early 2000s or mid 2000s thing. So I think there are going to be some things in this one that hopefully the coronavirus pandemic is a thing of the past, but there will be some other things that just don't seem relevant four years from now, certainly 14 years from now, whatever it is. I guess this sort of a summation, I'm just very happy that this was not, in my view, a retread that the way of combining narrative, you know, just assuming like... You understand that most of the co-stars are unwitting, but that's not even going to be necessarily the focus anymore. We're just going to tell a story that involves that as an, an element. I definitely didn't laugh as hard as I did at Borat 1 when I saw it in the theater. And I don't even know whether I it is sort of transcended. <laughs> it made me so uncomfortable in places that it is not just your measure how good a comedy is by how loudly and how often you laugh. Like, But it elicited strong responses in me. So I, I regard it as a success, as a different version of the formula, not merely a third or fifth or sixth or however you count another thing that Sasha Baron Cohen is doing. It, it was, to me, a new twist that was right on a its own cutting edge. I think that that's a nice observation. And it's just something that popped into my head when, when you were speaking, Mark, is that punk rock has a very short lifespan. It's the first Thing. It's the album, it's the Big Bang, it's the burst. There's hardly ever punk rock that ages. <laughs> You're not talking about the Sex Pistols' fifth album. You're talking about like their first single and then the band blew up you know, within one year. So Borat was super punk rock. It, made, it was anarchic. It was crazy. You, know, you left the theater and you needed to, to take a seat for a moment. That's not going to happen again. But I think him passing the baton to the next generation of punk rock in this movie was a smart move or else it would have been retread. That's really well stated. I hadn't thought of it in that way with passing the baton. I was afraid to watch this movie because I thought as shocking as the first one was, and you know, I shouldn't have thought this because he is a very smart person and a smart performer. I thought it was going to be, how can we outshock what we already did? And that's not what I found it to be. And that was very refreshing and sometimes would 
lull you in a, into a false sense of security of, oh, I'm just watching this this film now. It's more about the, the father-daughter relationship. And then all of a sudden she was involved in these uh, situations as well. So it was a new kind of shocking. Come on, Brian, you got to crap on this a little bit <laughs> just to provide a counter. I think it was a great movie for a year that I'm ready to be behind. <laughs> so it wouldn't surprise me if I never watched this movie again. I don't maybe need any great reminders of 2020. So happy to have watched it. I will be happy not to watch it again. <laughs> <laughs> I would have watched it again if we had more time before this, just to kind of like gauge my emotional reactions when I know what's coming. <laughs> the passing the baton, you think that was more smoothly done than in uh, Indiana Jones and the, uh, <laughs> and the alien who looks funny? I think that's what it was called. All right. Well, thanks, Aaron. Thanks, listeners. Thanks, listeners. Why don't you plug your new uh, single or something before we get out of here? Oh, no, I'm good. This is for a different purpose. This is for a different purpose. And I, I appreciate having this talk with you guys today. It's opened my mind and heart to a, a few things that I think that's what this does. You know, when it's all said and done, we're done laughing and we're done wringing our hands or picking our jaws up the floor about other people. If you want to be part of the solution and instead of part of the problem, even if you're technically, let's just use an example, on the right side of history, you still have work to do. I know that I do. I know that's maybe not the conclusion you would think you'd derive from watching an outlandish thing like this, but I think over time it, it makes you ask those questions. So it was, it's nice being able to discuss that with you guys today. Yeah, thanks so much. You're great. Thanks for joining us. It was good to meet you. Do you have a few minutes to stick around for some, some supporter-only after-talk where we can just ask you more about your, your updated career happenings? Yeah, 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 everybody. Okay, well, there you go. So go to patreon.com slash pretty much pop to get plugging. That's a good reason. Oh. <laughs> so long. Bye, listeners. Right. Bye. Get more pretty much pop at prettymuchpop.com. Pretty much pop is part of the Partially Examined Life podcast network, and it's also presented by openculture.com. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.